What did you eat for breakfast? Uh, just a very boring bowl of oatmeal with uh, coffee. Welcome to Music on Your Own Terms, the podcast that aims to help musicians develop an entrepreneurial mindset through interviews, as well as discussing resources, concepts, successes, and more. Providing a platform to talk about negative emotions such as anxiety and depression in order to help overcome them in the context of music and reduce the social stigma. This is episode 92. Sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Printing Company in Fort Worth, Texas, offering screen printing, embroidery, laser engraving, and a range of other services. Go to theskinnyarmadillo.com to learn how they can help you get your merch business to the next level. I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps the podcast get in front of more people just like you who want to learn from the successes, strategies, and failures of artists and entrepreneurs that I talk to. I really feel that the information coming from those guests is exceedingly valuable for the musicians community and anyone wanting to pick up tips from other people's experiences. In this episode, I chat with Jared Harris, drummer and manager of the Toronto-based hard rock band One in the Chamber. We learn about his first foray into music in school, getting drum lessons for his birthday, and attending a drum clinic featuring Chad Smith at a young age that cemented his passion for playing. Jared also talks about his constant curiosity around how other bands promote their music, social media and playlist strategies to increase your band's reach, and the importance of great PR. This interview is a great insight into a young band with a great attitude and an entrepreneurial spirit, figuring out what works and following a long-term plan. I hope to catch up with Jared in the future to see what he has learned and what successes the band has had on their journey. For the recording of this episode's intro, I've moved all my equipment back into my office closet recording booth, if you will. I've added some homemade sound panels, and I'm going to continue to work on improving the audio in this room, so that the audio on my end, at least, is going to be far superior than it has been in the last few weeks. So give me a shout on social media, and let me know if you like the improvement in the audio quality. Some of the previously recorded audio sections will still feature some of the less than optimal sound quality, but the last few interviews of 2020 and into 2021 will feature better and better audio quality. And as I said, I'm going to be adding more soundproofing and more sound treatment so that the audio quality improves. Don't forget to check out the web store at musiconyourownterms.com. Hopefully you've seen the new t-shirts and masks on Instagram, and I've just added some ceramic cups that are laser engraved with the new logo, so check those out too. Without further ado, here's my interview with Jared Harris. All right, so welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jared Harris from the band One in the Chamber. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. Uh, so you're based in Toronto, is that correct? Yes, we're a Toronto-based rock band. Okay, cool. So yeah, if, if you wouldn't mind just uh, giving us a, 
a rundown of you know what the band sounds like um you know what you do in the band uh both music and you know the business side yeah for sure uh so one of the chamber we actually just celebrated uh at the beginning of the summer this year we celebrated our uh five-year anniversary cool uh so the band started back in 2015 um and it was the most sort of random collection of uh musicians um uh cecil eugene our guitar player wanted to start a rock band uh while he was studying jazz uh at <laughs> york you know you know he's a jazz guitar player at york university wanting to start a a rock band uh and he had found uh he had connected with our singer mike biase who also plays guitar in the band and uh i i for myself he he found me because he was bartending one night at a university pub that I was playing a jazz show because I was also a jazz student um, a couple okay. years uh, younger than him. And hands down, like, it was the worst show I've ever played in my life. Like, <laughs> I was sub, I was subbing in for a friend of mine, and, like, it was terrible. Like, I can't think of a single redeeming thing about this show. Um, and, you know, simply because they did not tell me what was going on. And for whatever reason... Uh, Cecil like I had to leave that night early because I had worked the next morning so Cecil was like I gotta I gotta find that drummer that guy was awesome and wow I, <laughs> fooled him there I guess but uh so in that case right he uh the three of us started jamming we started writing music and we were trying to find a couple of different bass players and to sort that out and Mm -hmm. uh after a while after a couple of uh bases just not showing up or whatever just schedules couldn't line up uh cecil remembered that he went to high school with christian dotto and uh you know the four of us again we just kind of got in the room and from that moment uh you know it it just all kind of clicked together really well mm -hmm. um and yeah i mean since then uh we've been performing a ton around uh toronto uh the province of ontario we've been down to boston to record some demos with uh scott laflamme who was formerly of bang tango and like for us that was in our first year wow. performing and it was a really fun experience it was for i believe all of us but i'm probably wrong it was for most of us our first like recording experience and like it was a ton of fun mm. um and then i guess about three three years ago we stepped into phase one studios in toronto uh, and this studio has hosted the likes of like legends. Um, you know, it's one of those places where you walk into the, the hallway and it's just, there's no more space for any platinum records sort of thing. And, mm. uh, you know, like Rush used to rent out this space for like months at a time to write and record the tragically hip Alice Cooper. Uh, if someone has recorded in Toronto at some point, they probably recorded at phase one, right? It's, it's a studio with a ton of history and, we were super stoked to be there That's and awesome. uh yeah so we we made our first our debut studio ep we call it i've got something to say and that was released in uh 2018 uh we put out two music videos with that and that was a ton of fun as well the first one for bills to pay uh the second one for itching back um and you know again we just had a ton of fun recording there we worked with murray daigle and mike smith and we were so happy and blown away with the results um that uh, we we went back again and we recorded our most recent single, uh, Blow, which we released earlier this year with uh, another music video. Okay, cool. So you, like you said, you, you have the drama. Um, how's like the business part of it split? Or do you have, 
Oh, you know, do you have a team behind you, or I, like, how, how does that work? So that's me, actually. I'm the drummer and the manager, which uh, you know, it's always kind of fun because when people make those 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 drummer jokes, you never assume the drummer is the one handling everything. <laughs> uh, but um, you know, at first, it kind of started off like we were just mostly still in university when we started this band and we didn't know anything about it right like for mm-hmm. most of us this was our first serious band um so we were just kind of like we got to play shows we gotta we only got to play in toronto and nowhere else because why would you want to play outside the big city and you know we didn't know any better and um uh, at the time because i was studying jazz at york university I took a music business course and our professor brought in a ton of people from the local uh, industry. Um, We had uh, big time managers coming in to do guest speaking, uh, PR people, uh, entertainment lawyers, things like this. And I, you know, it was probably one of the most, uh, for my part, it was probably the course that I paid attention to the most. And uh, you know, when we were kind of figuring things out, I started bringing some ideas forward of how we should progress. And like, there was never a conversation where we kind of sat down and it was like, yeah, Jared's going to be the manager, but it kind of became that way because, you know, we started kind of organizing ourselves a little bit more and we were getting better results, uh, seeing more Mm -hmm. people come out to the shows, seeing our social media grow, um, all of that right so and since then you know i kind of you know listening to podcasts like your own uh reading tons and tons of articles talking to and you know kind of working with different people within our sort of musical community and figuring out what's the best route to go with it's it's a it's a steep learning curve (laughs) absolutely any uh any specific books that you'd recommend oh uh don't know them off the top of my by name i don't know them um years and years ago i read uh i think it's called the musician's guide to publishing or oh the artist's guide to publishing and uh it was in like its fourth or fifth edition Mm. it came highly recommended from a professor of mine and it just broke it just uh it just broke everything down from in terms of like how royalties are typically done and Mm -hmm uh songwriting credits versus mechanical credits things like that it just broke it all down in such a way that uh it just made sense you know it was it was written with the idea of helping out the regular musician you know and that's Mm -hmm. what i appreciated most out of it but no i in terms of books that's probably the one area that i've like worked up with the least in terms of resources yeah i mean i think the trouble with books with with the industry well any industry you know these days that you know technology and everything moves so quickly books are out of date within you know a month of them printing have you have you heard of Ari Hurst? i i bring this up all the time on the podcast but Ari Hurstan's book is is a definite one that you which wanna, uh which one i recognize called, his name um, yeah it's making it in the new music industry it just he just released this year his second edition I don't think I've read it. No, uh, definitely highly recommend it. It's, okay, it's it's yeah. actually being used as textbooks now. Really? Um, okay. So definitely, I'll probably, I'll probably place an order for it tonight. Then. <laughs> yeah, definitely would. Um, but that that's awesome. So give me a bit of intro and in how you got into music in the first place. You know what? Why why did you pick up drums? And was there any specific musicians or mu- just music in general that that you kind of said, "Oh, I really want to do that." See, it's it's uh, it's a uh, it's 
it's kind of weird because I grew up in a very musical household, but not that uh, anyone in my house played music, but music was always playing, right? Um, my mm-hmm. grandpa, he had a, a massive, massive vinyl collection of jazz and, and blues and R&B, and almost equally as massive CD collection, you know, when things started to change uh, mm. formats. And uh, like since I was a kid, you know, my mom was always, always had rock music playing in the house, like bands like mostly Aerosmith was her favorite. Um, and uh, I'm on a big Aerosmith kick right now again. So like I can totally understand why. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Aerosmith, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, the Rolling Stones, uh, Van Halen, Led Zeppelin. These were bands that were like always played in my house um, mm. from a really young age. Uh, so I always loved listening to music, but I never liked playing music because, you know, there were no instruments around the house. Uh, my introduction to music was in in school, and uh, I didn't really like singing all that much. And I definitely, definitely hated the recorder. And uh, it, it just, it didn't appeal to me playing music. Mm. And, uh, you know, like, I, I'm sure my music teachers were great because... You know, I was a kid that didn't like music, so I, I, I can't put any fault on them because I don't remember. But right. uh, it, it just didn't pull me in. And it wasn't until I was in the seventh grade when uh, our teacher said that we had to pick instruments, like real instruments. And like I looked at everything in the room, and there wasn't a guitar. And the only thing that was in the room that was in a rock band that I recognized was the drum set. So I went home and I said to my parents, like, I really want to play the drums just because I have to play an instrument and like, I don't want to play the flute. I don't want to play anything else. Mm. So my parents were fantastic about it. They went out and bought a beginner drum set and then they gave me the receipt and said, uh, go show this to your music teacher. There's only one drum set. So he was only going to pick one drummer. So they said, go show this to your music teacher. And that should be like, hopefully that convinces him. So I did that. And, uh, uh you know mr lee he gave me the drum set and i didn't know what to do at that point because like like, you'd listen to like like these classic rock records and i could be like oh yeah jimmy page is playing chords he's playing a guitar solo he's playing a riff but i didn't know what did what on the drum set i didn't know what any of those drummers were doing that i was listening to um and about like a month or so later, my parents went out and uh, surprised me with a birthday gift. They, uh, the guy that helped set up my drum set uh, at the music store that they bought it from uh, on my birthday shows up at my house and they're like, happy birthday. You're going to get drum lessons. And awesome. yeah, well, see, at the time I was still like this dumb kid that didn't want to play music. I was just kind of playing drums to get by in music class. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like coincidentally, a week later, uh, Chad Smith of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which at that point were definitely my favorite band, he was doing a drum clinic. So uh, my family and I went and I didn't know what happens at a drum clinic. I thought all the Chili Peppers were going to be there, <laughs> you know, like, uh, but sure enough, like Chad starts jamming and I was like instantly blown away because I'm seeing this visual connection between what is Uh, this sort of correlation between what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing and the way he's playing. And instantly I'm like, yeah, I want to take drum lessons. I want to play the drums. And that for me was like that sort of moment where I wanted to get into music. Fantastic. That, that, and, and, you know, you, you couldn't ask for a better drummer than that. (laughs) 
Man, you sure it was? You sure it was Chad Smith and not not um, Will Ferrell? <laughs> I'm pretty. I met him afterwards. I'm pretty sure, but I don't think we can ever be 100 percent certain that it's Chad right. or Will. That's right. Uh, that that that's still still so hilarious. Oh, absolutely. So glad they did that. Uh, that's that's cool. So other than uh, Chad Smith, I mean, do you, do you what, who do you think you sound like? You know, groove wise and playing wise, do you do you gravitate to any particular drummer's style? For I uh, for myself, um, you know, whenever we're writing music and I'm kind of messing around and trying to figure out my place in the song, uh, I like. There's a couple of drummers that I like to kind of keep in mind that you know for what seems appropriate and uh i typically go for that sort of chad smith john bonham approach kind of laying back on the beat a little bit Mm -hmm. um big powerful sound but very groove oriented at least you know i that's what i try to try to do the most that being said uh you know on the complete flip side going away from groove and into more technique like danny carey from tool is one of like my absolute favorites and uh I don't ever dive into that level of technique in our in our playing, but you know, every now and then when I want to do like a bigger fill, I kind of approach it more from like a what is kind of an outside the box way of doing this. Um, and you know, in a kind of going back to the groovy side of things, and in more instead of laying behind the beat, kind of pushing the beat forward, I really appreciate Brad Wilkes from Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave. Mm-hmm. He just he plays these really simple parts, but he plays them with like this this level of ferocity that's just like sure you know like this level of aggression that really comes through in how he's playing, but it still grooves really hard. So mm. you know I'm probably missing out on it. Like I love Matt Cameron from Soundgarden. Uh, Nate Smith right now is a drummer that I listen to a lot. He's incredibly groovy. Uh, you know Benny Greb. Uh, there's just tons of drummers out there that are doing amazing stuff. And I think especially in the last 10 years with recording technology and artists kind of recording themselves and uh, filming themselves at home and stuff like that, it's way more accessible to see what like drummers are doing and to actually hear them clearly enough and like watch them. And it's for sure in that, in that kind of sense, like there's uh, there's always so many drummers that are just so fantastic, but for myself, I tend to focus more on like the groove guys, um, especially the guys that can keep a, a groove kind of relaxed and uh, but you know they don't sacrifice that that big drum sound. Right, that's that's excellent. So how do, how do you guys write? Are you more? Are you uh, obviously? I mean, sure, I'm sure COVID has affected stuff, but do you jam in a room and just get stuff out, or do you bring ideas? Do you like hash stuff out? you know, file sharing online. How so, does that work for you guys? When we first started the band, um, everyone was kind of bringing their own ideas in. And for the most part, those ideas were largely completed ideas. And yep. for us, it was like, great, we have a song. We need songs to play shows. Mm-hmm. And I mean, listening to some of those songs now, you can kind of hear that they're very different um, from the stuff that we ended up writing and recording for I've Got Something to Say back in 2018. Mm-hmm. And it was maybe maybe about halfway through the first year, you know, getting a couple of songs under our belts and getting a, a bunch of shows under our belts that uh, we didn't quite have these like banks of songs to, that, you know, people were just kind of bringing in. Instead, it was more like Cecil or Mike or Chris and even sometimes myself would bring in like a riff and uh 
from there, you know, if we really like the riff, like usually someone will play it and one person follows because they like what they hear. And usually like if I really like a riff, I just start playing the drums, whatever immediately comes to mind. And usually by that point, Chris is playing the bass and kind of jamming along and you know, Mike is flipping through his his book to see if he's already got some lyrics made and stuff like that. And I think from that perspective, it makes the songwriting process a lot more interesting uh, for the four of us. It makes it a lot more unique because we're all kind sure. of coming from very different musical tastes and backgrounds. And uh, it makes it a lot more, uh, it, it makes it a lot more of a cohesive, organic sort of process. And you know, I think uh, the songs we've written since 2018 show that even further. Since COVID, however, we took a pretty significant break in terms of practicing and writing uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, but because of the loosening of restrictions over here and uh, uh, our practice studio kind of opened up, uh, I guess it was sometime in the summer we started getting back into it. And, you know, since then it's just been, you know, we've, We've done a couple of live stream shows. We've got our first like in-person show coming up next week, actually. But, uh, you know, we're not really practicing for shows or building sets right now. Right now, it's all about like jamming out new material, working on writing new songs, creating new songs, because uh, we've comfort got all the time. Not, yeah, comfort level's not there yet. Well, yeah, yeah I mean. Definitely not for me. Uh, for us, um we miss it so much, right? It's mm. it's one of the best feelings out there for us to, to just get on the stage and play these songs. And we're kind of carefully taking things if, you know, uh, the promoter is making it very clear of the, the safety that's being followed within uh, the venue. Mm. Um, and as long as it follows the legal requirements of uh, the province of Ontario right now, simply because even though we can play shows, it doesn't necessarily mean we should. Right. So we want to make sure that we are being careful for, you know, the venue staff, the people watching and ourselves, of course. Mm, yeah, totally. Um, so what are your plans going forward? Uh, assuming things get back to a relative normalcy, you know, what, what, what are you, what are you looking to do? Are you, is it true you've, uh, you, you've done a few shows in the U.S.? We've done right? one show in the U.S. It was in uh, at a bar called Losers at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas, and okay. we just we happened to be in Vegas for uh, uh, our singer Mike's bachelor party, and okay. we were sitting in this bar, and you know it was the end of the weekend. The whole weekend that we were there, I was like trying to find us a place that we could like just hop on stage and play because like I knew that would make the weekend for all of us. Yep. And, uh, you know, we were kind of just hanging out and, uh, the band, the cover band that was up there, they, uh, they were taking a break between their sets. And I was like, Hey guys, we're a band from Toronto. You definitely haven't heard of us, but we would love to play like one song. And the guy was like, I don't know. Let me talk to the guys. So he was like, yeah, whatever. You know, we're on break. If you guys can play one song, just one song though. Don't like, don't get up there and, you know, just one song so we went up there we played one song and you know we're about to walk off stage and the guy looks at it and he's like okay you can play one more song that was, <laughs> that was and you know for us like that was awesome but yeah so that um that's been our only american show our only international show but moving forward it's it's a tough situation because you know when the pandemic started uh we 
we were like, okay, all of our summer plans are out, mm. but we'll make up for it in the fall because this will definitely be resolved by the end of the <laughs> at the end of the summer. Uh -huh. And the end of the summer came around, and we we're all like, oh, I, I guess not. And I mean, we're fortunate enough that we we are playing uh, a show next week. Um, we are in talks to possibly do another show in November in Toronto. Mm -hmm. um, for now, I think we can only just kind of take it as they come. Like for, I mean, just two weeks ago, the province uh, took three regions, Toronto being one of them, and put them not into complete lockdown, but definitely much stricter restrictions than everywhere else. So, and that kind of came out of almost nowhere, right? I mean, the numbers were going up, but there was no like, hey, next week things are shutting down. It just, you know, things kind of shut down again. So, um, you know, for us, we're just kind of paying attention to everything around us to make sure that it's safe to do so and, you know, taking opportunities when we can. Sure, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Did you, did while you are in uh, Vegas, did you end up uh, getting out to Counts Vamped? Counts? Uh, no. Uh yeah, Unfortunately so not, but I've heard good things. Uh, a friend of ours told us, um, funny enough, uh, we played a show in Toronto like a year later. It was like on a Wednesday night in December, January. It was cold, right? It's Wednesday night, cold night. We played a show and um, it was at this bar called the Bovine Sex Club, which... Uh, Interesting. <laughs> It's a great venue. It's like very tightly packed, very old school. It's from the 90s. And uh, these two guys, these three guys come up to us afterwards and they're like, hey, that was an awesome set. We loved it. Uh, are you playing tomorrow night? We're like, no, we just played tonight. They're like, oh, well, we're only in town tonight. Uh, we were just playing marching band drums for CeeLo Green. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, we're from Vegas. We we do drumming for the Vegas Knights, and CeeLo Green hired us to do this thing, and mm. you know we had a great time. And but yeah, they told us all about uh, Count uh, Count Vamped, and they were saying, you know, if you ever come back to Vegas, we'll play a show together. And so I've heard of it, but no, we did not. We did not play there. Yeah. So a few years ago, we were in Vegas with my uh, high school friend. You know, we they they were him and his wife were out doing some training and. Uh, uh, we were just looking around for somewhere to see a band because we were in a band together in high school. And, you know, we we tried like um, Motley Crue singers, you know, Little Bar, but that was just a karaoke bar. And then I was looking around and there was a $5 cover charge. We ended up seeing, um, oh, so it, it's an, it's a band, a, you know, like a Poison Motley Crue-esque band, but not quite so famous back from the 80s. Okay. Oh, Pretty Boy Floyd. Yeah, oh, okay, so we ended okay. up seeing Pretty Boy Floyd um, with Devin, uh, not Devin Graves, uh, the dr the drummer that passed away from cancer not too long ago. Oh, um, he drummed for Ozzy, right? Um, no, he drum, he, but he did drum in the same band that um, uh, Joey Jordanson, the the Motor Dolls. Oh, what was his name? Anyway, super nice guy. Um, so we met him. He was drumming for Pretty Boy Floyd at the time, so it's it's a you know it's a rock you know it's a biker bar rock club. It's it's where you're gonna see the the those types of bands for sure. Um, yeah, definitely definitely a place to go and off off the strip, which I liked. I wasn't too uh, thrilled about the strip itself. I'm, <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a big live it up kind of drinking and that kind of 
type person. But anyway, yep, recommend that. Noted. So, oh, one thing I did notice, you you got on uh, Loudwire's weekly Wire playlist. Is that correct? Yes. So um, how, how did you, how, what, what steps did you go through uh, or how did that get picked up? So, you know what? I still don't 100% know to this day. Um, it, so we released Blow at the end of March uh, as a single. And then a week later, first week of April, we released the music video. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, uh, I was working, uh, I had connected with Allison Song River um, from, she was previously working with uh, Tag Publicity. She now works with um, the label group. Um, and, you know, for years I've known her and the tag team because I also write music reviews and artist interviews uh, for The Spill magazine. Okay. Uh, and, you know, they're always sending me really great rock bands that are up and coming. And, you know, I really I really enjoy reviewing um, and covering the artists that they send me. Um, so, uh, you know, Blow is released. Uh, it does pretty well in the first, like, week or so. Uh the music video is released. It does really well. You know, we're getting really great feedback from you know our friends, family, fans. Uh, you know, I'm connecting with some of my press friends and people that have covered mm-hmm. us in the past, and they're writing reviews. And uh, you know, Allison kind of reaches out and says, "Hey, like I'd like to. You know, this is a fantastic song. I'd like to. I'd like to help you guys on the PR side." And up until this point, I've been doing our PR like 100% of the way, which is you know, there's a reason why there's managers and there's PR agents because like the PR job is like a monumental mountain in its own. Mm. Um, and the amount of unanswered emails, like, oh man. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but like, you know, so, so she says she wants to work with us and I was like, okay, you know what? That's awesome. But unfortunately, um, we don't quite have the budget to, to do that right now. Like all of our shows have been canceled. Initially the plan was to release Blow um release the music video and then kind of launch into a, a not necessarily a tour but like a string of spring dates um mm. naturally all of that was canceled and we were kind of like okay what like what do we do and i was like okay well pr won't cost us anything i'm gonna do all the pr uh you know and, and allison was fantastic she said okay you know what i really understand how about i just kind of help you guys out and do some of the pr work for you and you just write some reviews for my bands. And I'm like, okay, fantastic. (laughs) And uh, at the time I had reached out to a couple of Loudwire staff. Now, mind you, I don't have any connections with Loudwire. I haven't uh, in the past been able to get a response from them, Mm. but I had already sent out the emails and sent out the stuff. Uh, She has occasionally gotten her bands featured in Loudwire. So it's more likely that Allison got us on Loudwire, and I am 100% going to give her the credit for that one because she was fantastic and really kind of, uh, you know, got the song out there much farther than I necessarily would have. Um, but yeah, it was it was really cool. It was unreal because she sent she sent me like a, a text that day that it happened. She's like, "Hey, so I just got you. I just got word that you guys have been added to Loudwire's Weekly Wire." And like I was like, "Whoa, this is like the biggest we've you know we've yet to be on one of the official Spotify playlists." And hands down, that was not the biggest playlist we've been on, but it was definitely the most reputable one that, you know, you can kind of put into an email when you're pitching the band to to get a show or to to get on a playlist. Like, like Loudwire carries weight in the rock world. And if Loudwire recognizes your band, then I guess that makes you cool, 
right? <laughs> and, you know, for me, I was like, whoa, that's, you know, blown away. The guys were blown away. And uh, I guess they don't update the playlist as weekly as they hope. We stayed on there for a couple of months, actually. It was pretty awesome. I, I don't know if we're still on there. I don't think we're still on there anymore, but uh, it was really cool. <laughs> well, that's great because that, that, I mean, stuff like that really tells the algorithms, you know, what to do with music because without people's listening habits the algorithm's not going to do anything but you start getting on stuff like that then you know if let's say you know guns and roses releases a new track and then you know and your song sounds somewhat you know in a similar area and people start listening to the guns and roses track and then you're on that list as well it 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 just kind of feeds that you know, that machine really, uh, absolutely. I mean, really helps you. Absolutely. And I mean, when you're looking at streaming services, it's, it's very much, it's not a social media platform, but it's very much like a social media platform in that, yep. uh, everything just is a snowball effect, you know, uh, mm. gaining like 10 new followers on your Instagram page really is not a big deal, but that 10 means that you're 10 more people credible than you were a week ago and it builds, right. You start to get more views more likes, more follows. Absolutely. And it's the same, it's the exact same thing with Spotify, right? You get recognized on a playlist, new listeners, you hope that they add you, you hope that they follow you. And, you know, it means that the next release comes out and you're starting from a better position than you previously were. But I mean, I kind of view everything that we, we do digitally. It's almost like a snowball effect in that sense. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, th and that's the thing people do. People talk about, um, you know, how your likes and follows can almost be, um, you know, in, in terms of social media, they're, they're kind of vanity likes in a way of van vanity metrics. But I kind I, I half agree with that. You don't want to get too wrapped up into likes. But the the reason they're important is, you know, it's driving that algorithm again. If you're, if you're not getting likes, then something's not working. But if you are getting likes and you're getting followers, even even if those followers in the beginning aren't your super fans, which I really like to talk about on the podcast, they're still um, feeding that information so that the the uh, the platform, whichever one it is, knows where to push your stuff. When you when you you know throw Instagram or Facebook a few dollars on on advertising it's it's much better having you know a thousand followers than it is having like 50 followers because there's more data i mean that's what it boils down to so like i said i can't half agree with the vanity metric thing i yeah i i i'd say that half agreeing is probably the best way to go with that um i mean furthermore like on more of a individual personal basis right when mm. you see like a, a page that you've never seen before uh, and they have 10,000 likes, sorry, 10,000 followers, you're more likely to follow them than if they had 200, right? Uh, there's a, sure. there is, there is a level of credibility that comes with that, unfortunately, and fortunately, I guess. Right. Um, but in terms of like the algorithms, yeah, you're 100% correct, right? Because if you're not growing, then you know, the, the likelihood of your page showing up on as a suggested page on Facebook, mm -hmm. Instagram, whatever, or as a suggested artist on, uh, on Spotify, Apple music, you know, it's, it's, you're not reaching those people. Right. And that's purely one of the best, uh, 
that is the best potential that social media offers to up and coming artists. For sure. And just before we, we move on to a different point, is there any other, any other, um, you know, strategy that you found has been really successful for you in terms of social media or playlists or anything like that? I mean, I don't know. We're still pretty new to it. Um, for myself, uh, you know, even though it was early on in the band when I started kind of handling things like the booking and stuff like that, it really wasn't until like 2018 when we started really getting serious about like how to release things and how to correlate that with social media and PR mm -hmm. and, and stuff like that. And, you know, we released uh, Bills to Pay as both a single and a music video in, I think, April or May of 2018 uh we released the ep i've got something to say in september 2018 and then itching back as a as a single that was already on the ep but now as a as a music video mm. uh that came out in march 2019 and you know for each one you know we're definitely moving forward in terms of in uh in terms of growth and things like this and like I'm constantly learning how can we best release these things? How can we best uh, reach different blogs, radio stations, Spotify playlists? Um, I think in terms of social media, like the key is consistency and not posting too much, but not posting too little. You want to find that sort of almost, I guess, sweet spot that like works with uh, your audience and you know, you, you want to be consistent. You want, uh, if you're taking a professional tone with your, your, yourself on social media, you almost want to maintain that. Mm. Uh, whereas if you take a more casual tone, you want, you want to make, I don't know. It's, you know, I wish, you know, like as, as great as social media has been to us because it's allowed for us to reach so many different people. Um, I, it's one of those things that it's like, I wish we didn't have to be good at social media. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things necessary evil, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, I like to do a little thing in the interview, which is, um, the non quick fire question round. Okay. I'm, I'm good at non quick fire questions. <laughs> uh, what significant negative experience have you overcome and what did it teach you? Oh, oh, uh, an insignificant negative experience. We a significant one. Well, I, I got to think on that one, but an insignificant one, we once had to first year playing shows it was like an industry showcase, you yeah. know, one of those like shows that definitely doesn't appeal to serious musicians because they know better. <laughs> we were like, oh my God, you know, we're going to, we're going to get signed tonight. We had to pay to get into our own show and like, we're holding our gear. I'm holding a drum and like the guy at the door is like, no, no, it's, it's 10 bucks a person. We're like, no, no, we're, we're playing. And the guy's like, no, um, that was pretty, that was pretty insignificant. Cause like it cost us 10 bucks each, but like, yeah, we were definitely like, okay, don't take every show. <laughs> um, I think in terms of significant negative things that, you know, we've grown from is, uh, like as a whole in the last, especially again, I keep saying the last two years, because that's when we really started taking this much more seriously in terms of organizing ourselves and kind of putting ourselves into a certain direction. But I think it's uh, crucial for for artists to really like long term plan and map out, and mm -hmm. um, you know, like having my having the knowledge that we have now, uh, you know, if I could go back to twenty eighteen, instead of doing single EP single, we probably would have done single single, maybe a third single, then the EP. Um, 
you know, just kind of getting a little bit more serious with long-term planning and how you can make every event as big uh, as possible. Um, you know, playing less in the same areas, kind of cycling through a much wider uh, uh, range of locations to play from. Uh, that way you don't kind of burn out one area, uh, you know, within like a, a summer or something like that. You know, these are all kind of things that uh, over the last few years we've kind of taken note of. And, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm constantly watching what bands um, that we play with are doing, constantly watching bands that, you know, bands that we don't play with but are, you know, bigger than us where we kind of want to be. Like, what are they doing? How are they releasing it? Why are they releasing it this way? What platforms are they using for this? And, uh, you know, of course, as I say that, like 2020 has been the year that like took like a massive dump on every single plan. Like our plan for 2020 started in last summer. And since then, I don't know how many times I've reworked how this year is going to go. And you mm. know, still like even this week, just the last like chunk of 2020 is like still being figured out. And it's, but I think learning to long-term plan and sticking to the plan because a ton of opportunities that might take away from your goals but will be cool to kind of do will come up you know you might make a plan like i'm only going to play this city once every two months you know that way i can properly promote these shows and properly engage with the audience and the venues and promoters and make sure that this show is as big as it possibly can be um you know, you'll play that show and like three weeks later, you know, a band that you really like from the scene is like, hey, we want you to play this show with us. You know, it's going to be at this venue. And you're like, oh, I love this band. I love this venue. This is going to be awesome. But we just played that city, mm. you know, that interferes with the gets it's tough. And like, I don't want to say there's a lot of tough choices when it comes to, to doing this, but like it, there is a certain level of you have to kind of really weigh the pros and cons. And I think what's worked for us the best is sticking to long-term plans, mm. you know, at least to our best. Cause we definitely break our long-term plans too often. <laughs> right. I mean, that, that takes a lot of discipline, especially if it's someone you really want to play with. Absolutely. You know, and, and there's always, well, you know, there'll be people there that may discover our band and, but yeah, you, you're right. You still don't want to saturate the market. Absolutely. So, yeah. So that's cool. Um, what major positive experience has given you the encouragement to follow this journey, whether that be music or whether that be something else, however you want to answer that. I think for us, uh, again, going back to 2018, we released bills to pay, which was our first music video. It was the first time any of us had ever done a music video. And, um, for that video, we worked with, uh, Diego, uh, Del Rio, uh, at the time he was a film student who wanted to get into doing music videos and, you know, we didn't know what to expect because not, none of us had done videos and, um, mm. he shows up with like this massive, like almost movie tripod that you just can't, you can't move it sort of thing without like <laughs> two people pushing it. It was this crazy tripod and, uh, you know, we couldn't have been happier with how the music video turned out. We were blown away. I mean, you know, we were blown away with with the, the sound recording of the song itself that we got from working at phase one with Murray and Mike Smith. And, um, but I think for us hearing ourselves at this level that sounded radio quality and sounded like, not like a local band, like, Oh yeah, my friend's playing a band. It's kind of cool, but like play, like releasing music that's sounded at a certain level that, 
you know you you dream of sounding like and mm. putting out these videos that are, again are at this quality that that you dream of like watching like if mtv was still a thing playing music videos like you know like it's a professional music video and for us like it's you know like you spend so much time writing music and practicing it and working out all the kinks and what fill are you going to play where and what is this going to sound like and you know by the time you record it the song has been in the works for like a year mm. um and just because you recorded it you might be sitting on that forever um you know with just when you're going to release it and there's always this like you're happy with the product at least you should be but like you know we're like listening to these recordings and we're like yeah this is awesome like i can't believe we sound this way and uh you know you kind of you you go to release it and you're like i really hope everyone else likes it and like you know 12 <laughs> o'clock hits on release day and you're sitting there like okay i need i need someone to like comment i need someone to send me a text that's like whoa that's that's awesome i need you know and thankfully for us uh the reviews have oh genu generally been overwhelmingly positive um you know uh since 2018 we've been getting comparisons to like guns and roses and led zeppelin and uh some bands on the more alternative side like queens of the stone age and Soundgarden, and uh you know for us it you know it's this amazing feeling because you know, people are, are mentioning musicians that we listen to and that inspire us. And they're saying that about our music and we're like, whoa, that's, you know, for us, that's probably been one of our, one of my favorite things. And then, you know, mm. being able to kind of pair that with really professional videos that are just kind of fun to make and fun to send out there and, and stuff like that. It's, I think that has been one of the most positive things that every time we do a, a release, it just kind of helps push us forward in that sense. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So the last question is what does music mean to you? Oh, <laughs> that's like asking what does the, what, what's the meaning of life? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. For me, music is a bit of a constant, right? Like it's, it's always on when I'm in the car, it's on when I'm around the house. Um, I try to listen to as much new music as possible. And, uh, you know, when you're reviewing music, I get a lot of new music. So like I, I hear of bands that I've never heard of, um, and doing fantastic things. Uh, uh, just earlier this week, I listened to the new small town Titans record that's coming out in November and that album is fantastic. Um, right. But so I'm really fortunate that I get to, you know, that, uh, people like tag PR and, uh, you know the label group and stuff like that they they often send me music to to review mm. and and it, you know it keeps me listening to new bands instead of always the same artists that i'm always listening to and stuff uh I, music to me i guess the best way to put it is just it's a it's a straight constant whether i'm listening to music or uh playing music it's it's something that is almost always around within like my my daily life um I don't know if that's deep enough of an answer. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I don't know if that's too quick fire for the not so quick fire round. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that, that's the whole point of the question to get your own personal answer. So no, that's, that's fantastic. Um, so where can people find out about the band, get in touch, listen to your music? 
one in the chamber is uh we are on all digital platforms for streaming. Um, our, we mostly promote our Spotify because that's the one we found the most success with. But we are on all digital markets. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, at OITC Band, one in the chamber, OITC. It's, uh, yeah, it's all right there. Um, and uh, you can also connect with us on our website, www.oitcband.com. And uh, uh, it's a cool website. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's all right there. You'll find on the website links to our social medias, digital markets, merch, uh, photos, videos, music videos. And of course, um, we're on YouTube as well with uh, the music videos and uh, some other songs. Awesome. Um, and then lastly, what song would you like to play at the end? Blow. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, you, you mentioned that. So, I mean, I do like to ask, what what's the what's the song about? What's the story behind it? Uh, I guess we we wrote we wrote this song early 2019 i think um it started off with uh chris and myself we had just uh been jamming some different riff ideas to see if we could come up with anything and we didn't really come up with anything um and uh but we did have a couple of ideas that we were going to bring to the rest of the band and uh chris played this one idea that we had both worked on and uh cecil wasn't there that day but mike was there and mike played it back on the guitar and it was a little uh heavier a little chunkier a little more metal and and mike was like well what if we play it kind of more uh like joe perry would play it and he kind of simplified the riff a little bit and uh instantly like we were like yeah that's a song um and you know, the three of us started working on it. And then, uh, you know, the next practice Cecil shows up and goes, Whoa, that's, that's really cool. And he started adding all these parts to it. And, you know, we just, the song built very quickly, very organically. And, uh, for us, it was a song that immediately became one of our favorites to play live, you know, big energy. And, you know, it, it mm. you know, we wanted to make, write a song that had this sort of big, classic rock vibe this sort of big uh 80s rock sort of sound just a big rocker right. you know and yeah. uh you know i really think we delivered on it at least if if i believe what people say about it i think you know for us like when we play that song live there's no doubt about it just being like this really big big sort of song and uh yeah it just it just kind of clicked it's one of my favorite new songs that we play um yeah yeah awesome uh we'll hear that then so cool this has been a great interview really appreciate you taking the time oh thank you so much for having me you're very welcome um and you know continued success oh thank you very much and you know the same to you thanks as always for listening i really hope you enjoyed this episode i'd really appreciate it if you could support the podcast by leaving a review on itunes checking out the store and picking up some merch or just telling your friends about the podcast Keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other. This is One in the Chamber with Blow.